if you will stop, take a deep breath, you can smell deer season right around the corner. <laughs> yes, sir. I always like this time of the year. Aaron talks about the change of seasons, and he's still new enough to Southeast Texas that he calls it autumn when it's actually deer season that he means. I want to help you out a little bit, those of you who are deer hunters or like the uh, spoils of the deer hunter in your family. Um, here's a basic truth that fits. Success in life often comes down to strategic positioning. Here's how that applies into deer hunting, all right? Even though it's more convenient to put your deer stand at the end of your driveway so that you don't have to drive all the way to the lease and you don't have to get up in a cold stand and all of that stuff. Just put it at the end of your driveway. The problem with that is you won't get very many deer unless you happen to live out in the country by yourself. That's a great example. It's simple and it's kind of dumb, but it's a great example of the truth that I want to emphasize today. Positioning and strategic positioning helps us when it comes to success in life. That is especially true in the Christian life for those who would be noteworthy as Christian people. I want to pull off of the image that Aaron pulled from in Hebrews 12. And actually, I want to back it up into Hebrews 11 here. Because Hebrews 12 pulls right off of the tail end of Hebrews 11 where the writer of Hebrews has been talking about what faith is in this, what we call the roll call of the faithful. And in that passage in Hebrews 11 that says, and without faith it is impossible to please God, we find this theme that runs all the way through those couple of chapters. And that is those people who are noteworthy in the kingdom of God as we look backwards and even into our own times. God says, without faith, you just can't be that person. You can't please God unless you are living a life that is marked by faith. So we're in this series and we're talking about this guy named Abram who eventually will have his name changed to Abraham. And we're finding that God has, and we're not even through one verse and we won't even be totally through with that one verse today before it's all said and done. But from the very outset, God positions Abram strategically that ultimately puts him in that roll call of the faithful, not one time in Hebrews 11 and 12, but three different times. Here's a guy that God says, this guy gets it. And so we learn from him. Hebrews chapter 12, excuse me, Genesis chapter 12 in verse 1 says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I'm not going to read any more today, okay? Because we're not going to get any further than that. And I want us to kind of bear down a little bit. I want to pick it up from where we were before. A couple of weeks ago, I gave you the first of a couple of principles that we find in this one verse. For that person who would be noteworthy, who would live by faith, the Christian life that is the norm as far as God is concerned, but very strange in our world today, is the one who understands who God is. Your view of God directly impacts your willingness to trust him. That was where we were a couple of weeks ago in this passage. It comes from the first couple of words there. Now the Lord said to Abram, our picture of God 
impacts whether we're going to be willing to trust him. And I talked to you there and back in that sermon a couple of weeks ago about the picture of God that we find in Genesis 1. He is the transcendent God, the one who is beyond us. He spoke and all the universe moved into order. It came into being, moved into order. That's the God who we call Elohim in the Old Testament. Transcendent, beyond us. Worthy of worship just because of who he is. It's a great picture. We find it all through the Old Testament. But there's another picture of God that we find there. And that's the one that gets the name Yahweh. And that's the name that's used in Genesis 12.1. It's not God the creator who is beyond us that the writer of Genesis wants us to get. It's the God who did all of that and yet says to this one guy named Abram, I want to be involved in your life and I want you to be involved in my plan. This is the covenant name for God, Yahweh. And how we view God directly impacts our willingness to trust him. If we have some nice little antiseptic God that fits in a little box that we stick up on the shelves or maybe in a little frame that we hang on our walls. And if that's our view of God and we hang him there, we're not going to be willing to trust him when life gets the best of us and when push comes to shove and life takes its toll on us. Elohim, Yahweh, the God who speaks worlds into order, who also reaches down to his people and says, I have a plan in your life. That God's worth trusting Well, at least theoretically so. I I say that because so many Christians seem to have a theoretical view of God. Which drives us to these kind of passages and these kind of sermon series. Because ultimately, when we get right down to it, that God, Elohim, Yahweh, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, all of those things, those names, those different references, those different parts of who God is that somehow meld into this one God. That God demands more than just a theoretical awareness. He demands our lives. And so he steps into the life of this guy named Abram. The first principle we got, your view of God directly impacts your willingness to trust, gives way then to the second one. And here's the one that gets back to the deer stand, stupid illustration, but it makes the point. That same God positions us so as to provide opportunity To deepen our trust in him. Let me run that back by you a different way. God, Yahweh as we find it here. I'm just going to use the term God because that's how we use it in English. Is very interested in you. He has this desire to be part of your life. Actually, that's not the best way to say that. It it fits. But maybe a better way is he has a desire for you to be part of his life. The problem for that, for us, in that is that so many times in the modern era, the postmodern era, or the post-Christian era, whatever you want to put on this time that we live in, so many people want a part-time God. I just need him when I need him. I I don't really want him to get into my life. I don't really want him to give me stuff that makes demands of me. I just want him when I want him. The problem with that is that's not the kind of living by faith that the Bible commends. Those people that we find in Hebrews 11 are ones who understood something about the 
majesty of God as it translates into the way they live their lives in relationship with Him. And that same God breaks into the life of this guy named Abram and he makes some demands of him. And the demands that he makes of Abram, as we'll see before we're done here this morning, are demands that position Abram to go deeper with him in that relationship. Let me just throw the challenge out to you now. I guess I would say, if you're not interested in the challenge, then you're not going to like the sermon too much. You're free to leave whenever you want to. Obviously, we don't chain anybody into the seats, but here's the deal. God makes some demands of us. And if we're to be those kinds of Christian people that he's talking about that please him, we have to understand that he has the right to make demands of us. And he's always wanting us to grow deeper and further with him. So if you're satisfied with a nice little, neat, little, compact, little manageable Christian life, you're not going to like what God says to Abram and what by definition and extension he says to us. Because he says, I want all of you. I don't want pieces of you. I want all of you. And he will strategically position you and me in our lives through the events and through his commands and through his input to us that ultimately moves us into positions that are very uncomfortable. We'll find that here. Let me give you a couple of quick... I'll try to get all the principles out and then I'll spend a little time showing you where we find it and what it does for us in this. Here's another principle to hang on to. God is more... And you've heard this from me before, so it's not like it's new information... God is more interested in your growth than he is in your comfort. Do you you get that? Here's the problem with that. If we really believe that, it has a way of reorienting everyday life for us. And it certainly changes our prayer lives. I, I think through the years, in my own prayer life, and those that I've seen of others, okay, and it's not like I'm trying to walk around just, you know, checking everybody's prayer life or anything. I'm just taking generally my experience in church and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm an old man. I've been around church people a long time now. I think that for the vast majority of prayers that I've ever heard in church, um, or even from church people, I think I could narrow them down into a two word prayer that kind of covers it. You ready for that? The prayer is, deliver me. Or it might be deliver him, or deliver her, or deliver us. But genuinely, our, our genu- generally, our prayer seems to be, God, I'm not comfortable here, so deliver me. It plays out in ways like, for instance, I, I got this hangnail, and it's killing me. So God... Do away with my hangnail, would you? Maybe it's not a hangnail for you. Maybe it's your big toe. You kicked the, the deal. I broke my toe one time at my brother's house. I sued him for everything. No, I didn't either. I'm just kidding. But I did break my toe at his house. I was walking out of his kitchen into the hallway that went into the living room. And he had a baby swing there. This was in the old days. Uh, and I kicked that baby swing, broke my toe. You know the first thing that I said? I ain't saying it in here. I will tell you my prayer after that. Lord, deliver me from this pain. Isn't that how we pray normally? Somebody in your family gets sick. 
How do you pray for them? We pray for healing. And I have to believe it's a good prayer. Matter of fact, I stood at the hospital bed of one of the men of our church this week and I prayed exactly that. Lord, heal him, please. But I have to tell you, the reality is that sometimes God will move us into positions that cause us to want to say, deliver me. But he's not interested in our comfort nearly as much as he's interested in us learning how to trust him and grow. So sometimes we ask him to do away with the stuff that makes us uncomfortable. And he spent a lot of time and effort to try to get us into that position in the first place. I'm not saying it's bad prayer. I'm just saying we need to make sure that we keep it all in balance in the Christian life. And so the question, God, where are you? And this becomes a huge thing, not just for church and a renovation campaign, but a a life that says, I want to honor God every day. Because God will systematically put you in positions that will help you to trust him more, at least give you the occasion to do that. He puts us in positions that enhance our growth. Look at this passage, and let me show you a couple of things here. First of all, notice what God tells Abram to do. Now, what does it say in your translation? This is kind of audience participation time. I throw this in somewhere just to make sure that, you know, people who are napping have to wake up for just a moment. What does God say to Abram? He says, you know, Abram, if you really, if you feel like it, I got a suggestion for you. It's not at all what he says. As a matter of fact, our English translation of the Hebrew here really waters it down some. God very pointedly says to Abram, get out of here. As a matter of fact, the words that he uses here come together to mean separate yourself. Now that's a key term and a key concept in this whole thing for Abram. It's not just go. It's not just leave where you are. When this sermon is over and we finish this service, I'm going to leave this building and I'm going to go eat. Lord, help me. I'm going to go eat. That's what my plans are, right? And if the preacher will get through, I'll go earlier today. We'll leave here. We'll leave here and go somewhere else. But that's not the word picture here. The word picture here is God says to Abram, separate yourself. Here's why that's important. Three different levels God takes him to. It's like the water at the top of the, of the, uh, of the mountaintop or whatever you want to call it. And it's about to go over the falls and we got three different levels. And by the time that waterfall gets to the bottom, it's a long way removed from where it started off. God says to him, first of all, Leave. Before I get to the three levels, let me just make sure we get this part right. You know, there are some lessons in the Christian life you cannot learn from where you are today. There are some things that God wants to teach you that you can't learn from where you are today. They're beyond your current level of experience. And so regularly God steps into that reality for us and he says to us, okay, it's time for you to separate yourself and do something different. Here's a good example, I think. Now, I'm not the kind of guy who likes to, 
you know, do this for a living. So I'm not the, the guy who studies eagles and all that. I guess that's scientist, some kind of biologist. I don't know what it is. But I'm told, okay, I'm not the authority. I'm just telling you what I've been told. That eagles train their young eagles, eaglets, I think they're called, to fly by, anybody know what they do? They kick them out of the nest, okay? Parents, ding, 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 this is a rule of nature. It's a good thing to know. I'm told that an eaglet, when it's time for that eaglet to learn to fly, the parents get together, they have a conversation. They go to Starbucks down around the corner. I don't know how they do this. They just know that it's time. Probably the dad gets tired of bringing food back for him. That's my guess. And I'm told that they get into the nest and they nudge that eaglet out of the nest. Now, here's the deal. This is how you know eaglets are like teenagers. Okay, It's cool to sit around and hang around the nest and eat stuff that your parents bring you. You don't have to do anything. You just kind of hang out. You're just being an eagle. It's cool to be an eagle for those little eaglets. But day comes that that parent nudges that eaglet out of the nest. And what happens? All of a sudden, the eaglet has to figure out, what am I going to do now? And I got these things growing out of the side of my body. They just always have been in the way. What do I do with them? And while they're falling, the parent is waiting for them to begin to use those wings to be a real eagle. And so they sweep, I'm told, they swoop underneath them and they catch them. They take them back to the nest. And about the time that eaglet is starting to feel good about being back in the nest, what do they do? They kick them out again. You know why an eagle does that with its young? Because an eagle knows that living in the nest is a lower level of existence from what they're created to be. God has lessons for you that you cannot learn in the nest that you're living in right now. And at some point, God is going to strategically position you to grow to the next level. So what's he supposed to leave? Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Let me just stop with those three and let's see what that says to us. Here's those three levels. The fall off into being where God wanted him to be and the positioning that was strategic on God's part to get Abram to be where he needed to be so that God could continue to use him. God confronts him. Here's your choice to make. First of all, leave your country. You know, for 20 years, I lived down in the Rio Grande Valley. That's as far south. I know we say we're South Texas, but this is really South Texas. As far south as you can get in the state of Texas uh, and still be in Texas and in America. And so our house was 15 miles from the Rio Grande River and the border crossing in Hidalgo, which goes into uh, Reynosa, which is the northernmost town in, in Mexico in that area. By the way, that's the area where all those um, kids were coming across and being stored up there and all that stuff. That was all right there where we used to, to live. And, and more than once, our family would take a trip into Mexico. And one of the realities of that area was that we could leave our house 15 miles north of the river, 
And we could make our way. And with every mile that we drove towards Mexico, it became less and less like America and more and more like a third world country. And by the time we got to the river itself and the border crossing stations that are there on either side, the U.S. side, the Border Patrol, and the other side, the Mexican immigration, uh, and between those two was this one bridge that separated the United States and Mexico. That bridge was probably 200 yards long, I'm guessing, and yet a lifetime of affluence separated the two. Right in the middle of that bridge was a marker that said, you are now leaving the United States. I learned after the first time or two that I went across there that when I got to that particular sign, I should pay really close attention to everything that was going on around me. The reason for that was because life in Mexico is not like life in the United States. And we have the privilege as American citizens that we don't have when we get over there. You know, there's a story in our news that has been going on for about six months now that plays out for us this very truth. A U.S. Marine who took a wrong turn and found himself in Mexico with a car or truck, I guess, that had some illegal arms. Now, from our side, they're not illegal at all. But even a shell from a rifle in your possession in Mexico gets you thrown in jail. There are rights... There are privileges. There is an identity that we carry as American citizens that are wonderful while we're here, but we don't have those things when we get out of here. I landed in Turkey in Istanbul Airport a number of years ago, and as I got off of that plane and into that airport, I saw men carrying, mean-looking guys carrying automatic weapons. And it became immediately clear to me, I am not at home here. That's the word picture that we get when God says to Abram, leave your country. Within the confines of the border, life is somewhat certain. We have an identity. We have a security. We have a sense of belonging that comes with us being in country. And God says to Abram, I want you to get out of that Safe, secure environment. That's a pretty big deal. It's a big deal for us today and especially was for him in those days. You do know that the area we're talking about here in Haran is what we find in the news these days, which is called Iraq and Syria, where the ISIL or ISIS or whatever terminology is the correct one to use there is doing their deal over there. That's the land that we're talking about. And God says to Abram, I want you to get up and get out of that place where you know how life is lived. And I want you to, and, and here's part of the problem. Where did God tell him to go? He didn't even tell him where to go. He just said, leave there. What's worse than not knowing where you're supposed to go, but having to abandon everything about who you were. God says, do it. Secondly, he says, leave your kindred. You know, I moved here three years and several months ago. Life's different in southeast Texas than it was in deep south Texas. This came home from, I'm going to use my son as an example. Uh, Brandon and uh, our granddaughter are here today 
with us. Brennan and I were talking yesterday. And he was talking about life and how different it is for him than the job that he has now in Conroe or Willis and the job that he had in deep South Texas. Both of them are, are jobs that serve the public. And so he's dealing with the public on a regular basis. And he said to me uh, yesterday, he said, you know, when, when I moved, moved from South Texas, I could have conversations with people there that when I moved to Southeast Texas, I couldn't have the same conversations. Now, Brandon was fortunate enough that he married into a family where his father-in-law is a sportsman deluxe. And so he's taught Brandon how to do things that I never could have taught him how to do. And so they go bow hunting and they go work on the lease and they go fishing and all of those kind of things. His father-in-law has taught him. And so Brandon says, because of those things, now in my job, as people come in in Willis, Texas, he says, I can talk to them about bow hunting and I connect with them better than I ever did talking about the stuff that was normal in Southeast Texas. Excuse me, in South Texas. That's the picture that we get in this second word here. Leave your kindred. The word is clan. You lose, excuse me, you leave, separate yourself from all that is familiar to you, that area where you get your identity, leave it behind. It's not enough for God that Abram leave his place. Now he's got to leave that part of him that gets him in with the crowd. In other words, he's to become an outsider now. Don't just transfer who you are there to become who you are over here. Now you don't get to be anybody is what God is saying to him largely. That's a huge thing. Uncertain of the customs where he's going, wherever that happens to be. Aware that he doesn't fit in. Aware that he's just not anybody. What level of security does he have? And so then we get to the last one and I'm trying to finish up here. Finally, he says, and leave your father's house. Now, full-blown identity is jerked away. In that society, your father's house was where you belonged. Oh, sure, you still had the bigger clan. That'd be like going to a family reunion. And you know how family reunion is. You still know two or three people you really like. The rest of those relatives, you could care less about those people. But at least you belong in the group. Now he's saying, even those closest to you, you got to leave. You got to separate yourself from them. It's a critical level now for Abram. This, this would, you know how families have their own little, nice little identity things? I, I said this in the early services, an interesting response that I got. I said, if I were to say to you about your children or your grandchildren, I will cover all of the... I'm not saying this for the record. If I were to say to you, I'll cover all of the costs of your child's college education as long as I, you send them to Texas A&M and not LSU. Actually, I said it the other way around in there because there's more A&M people in that crowd. You know what? I got some people that looked at me like, you're crazy. My kid's not going to that school. That's because it's kind of one of those things for us. We have our nice little neat little family kind of identity things. Some families 
are sportsmen. They go out. Male, female, doesn't matter. We go out. And, you know, some of us, our deal's eating. (laughs) Or whatever it happens to be. Abram now has all of that jerked away from him. Oh, by the way, there's one other element on this leave your father's house. His future security is now gone. And that society is a patriarch society where you lived under your father's house and his roof until he was dead and then the oldest took over. And Abram has to walk away from all of that. God doesn't even give him the courtesy of telling him where he's going. He just says, separate yourself. And what starts off a few words before this, now we find Abram by the end of the verse being this nobody going nowhere in particular, but he goes with God. It's interesting and it's informative for us that Abram ends up three times as the guy named Abraham in that hall of faith that we find over in the New Testament. But he never would have made it if he had refused to let God strategically position him. We might well ask, God, why would you do that to somebody? Our quick default answer is, well, it's because God wanted to bless him. Let me tell you something. God could have blessed him right there in Haran where he was. He didn't have to move him. God moved him because Abram needed to trust him. And the only way to get him to trust him was to get him to separate from his security system. So now we're at that point of every message. It's always the most important part of any Bible study you ever do. It's what I call the so what part of it. If we just come to this and we get a nice history lesson out of it of a guy like that and we walk away and we never bring it home, we've wasted time. The so what of this is, what does God have to say to you and to me that kind of puts us in the same camp as Abraham? Here's a question for you. Who are you? If God systematically took Abram's identity and stripped it away, the question for us is, who are you? Who am I? Who are we? We form our identity out of all kinds of stuff in life, out of our hobbies, out of our jobs, out of our families, out of our accomplishments. Who are you? And here's a better question that goes with that one. How much do you need God in your life in order for you to be who you are? Another way to say that is, for you to be who you are, as I ask you the question, what's your identity? Who do you believe you are? If God were somehow totally yanked out of the equation of your life, would you have to change who you are? Or have you become who you are without any semblance of God being involved in that at all? So here's here's a dangerous thing for us because I believe in Southeast Texas, part of our culture is to be Christian in culture and we can believe that because we are Christian and there's certain things that we do and don't do as Christians that somehow that becomes our identity. But the reality is for many Christian people in this world, if you took God out of the equation of their life, they could still carry the title and nothing would have to change about the way they live. But you see, with Abram, he couldn't do that. 
God took all the other stuff away from him and said, you trust me now and I'll show you when you get there. And what he says is now this will be a relationship between me and you. It's a give and take. It's an every day I will talk to you and you will hear and we will commune as friend with friend. That's some other passages. So who are you? Secondly, does that identity block your relationship with God or help it? Here's another one. What are the security measures that you've built into your life? And I could could be referring, I guess, to the home security system you use or the CHL that you carry that justifies you carrying a weapon. Or maybe, maybe I should bring it this way. Are you stacking up as much money as you can in your life so that when you get old you have enough to live? Is it possible that you become one of so many other American Christians who put all of their security and finances and on a homestead and those kind of things? What if God in one hurricane took all of that away from you? Who would you be? Where would your security be? What if God in one car wreck took all of your family away from you? Where would your security be? What if in one prayer God said to you, leave it all behind and go to a place that I will show you? Who would you be and where would your security be? Abram had to lose everything in order to get in on the promise. Don't think that God has changed his methods with us. As a matter of fact, you can't even come to know Christ unless you abandon all hope in yourself. You know the old song? Nothing in my hand I bring, only to your cross I cling. What's God doing in your life right now? Is it possible that the stuff you're going through that you're asking him to take away from you He is intending to use to strategically position you to give up all hope on any other security than him. Is it possible that God might just be saying to you, we need to go to another level. And the stuff you're holding on to is getting in the way. You can't take my hand if you're holding on to stuff with that same hand. Let's pray. So those questions should be the questions of the hour for us. Where is your security? Where is your identity? Has God 